I think we'll see a lot more of the bigger brands rolling out individual campaigns, maybe focusing on new specific products, new hero campaigns or categories that you haven't always seen in the past. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters, and I'm your host, Matt Rouse, and today my guest is David Stilato. David, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Matt. So David is the Chief Growth Officer from DFO Global Performance Commerce, and they are an international boutique digital marketing agency with offices in Vancouver, New York, Amsterdam, Hong Kong, Toronto. David oversees their global business development efforts and focuses on structuring and building unified media technology and product sales team across global offices. David, there's there's more that we could talk about just about your bio, but I thought maybe it would be a little easier and a, and a little easier for everyone to understand. And if you explain a little bit more about what you do with DFO. Sure. So my, my primary role and responsibility here at DFO is chief growth officer. Essentially, I oversee two parts of the business. One is what we call our, our Verve Direct Traffic Affiliate Network, where we help our our direct-to-consumer partners scale their businesses using third-party media buyers or affiliates uh, on a cost-per-acquisition basis, which essentially means we'll take on the risk of all the media buys and the client's only on the hook, obviously, when sales are generated or leads are generated. The other part of the business that's something unique about our organization is, in addition to being an agency, we also are an e-tailer ourselves. So we have a comprehensive e-com program where we can work with product inventors or existing product lines in the States and help them scale internationally utilizing some of our internal services as well as third-party strategic partners, whether it comes to fulfillment, customer service, payment processing, SaaS, to really expand and grow their brand. So you guys have a pretty broad range of e-commerce that you guys work with. I know our company, we we have, you know, kind of some random e-commerce brands that we work with here and there, but I guess your niche is more in that kind of direct-to-consumer area. You know, we talked a little bit beforehand and, you know, kind of that, you know, mid-range price consumer product, would you say, is kind of your guys' focus? Correct. So we're working with people who are really looking to scale up a specific hero product. We don't typically operate with those who have a thousand SKUs. So we, we try to hone in on a focus and, you know, you'll, you'll see the types of products we work with in, in your Instagram or Facebook feeds, everything from mini drones to tactical flashlights, beauty creams and supplements. And where our goal here is to get a, a person introduced to a product and a brand and help scale and get their awareness there. And then they can re-engage with the client through remarketing efforts as well and help introduce them to other products. Right. And, you know, something that that came up when you were talking that I think is a good point to hit on for companies that are doing e-commerce is products that have a good potential for up sales or future sales, right? Like you had mentioned, if somebody needs, you know, like an insole for a shoe or something like that, then it's easy to sell them more than one of that because they got more than one pair of shoes they want to wear, right? Right. You know, one set of insoles doesn't do you that much good. Right. And, and it's it's part of our evaluation process when we're actually working with partners to take a look and see what are the things that are going to help maximize our opportunity, you know, as a performance-based agency, but also their profits as an advertiser. You know, things that are, are clunky, heavy, you only need one of. That's not really the ideal thing, right? Because it's going to be heavy to ship. Your costs are going to be higher, which means you have to charge the consumers more. But if you find something that's lightweight, maybe it's an everyday use item. It's something where you, you would want it in the house or 
in the office or possibly have one in your living room, one in your bedroom. But then also just like when you see on Amazon, you buy this and down below, you know, people who bought this also bought this, this and this pairs well as with other things is really great. And it, it helps maximize the, the exposure of the brand, the product buy opportunity and what we call the average order value. Right. And, and that's a good point that you made there. If you're doing research, let's say your company sells a product or you have a certain number of SKUs in your company, whether it's, you know, one or, or 10,000, go to Amazon, search for your product or a similar product if you're not selling on Amazon and see what it says for customers also purchased. And that's going to give you a good idea of, oh, this, this is other things that we can sell. And actually an interesting option of that also is that I've noticed that that like the SKUs that it suggests as other people also ordered is not necessarily static. So it can be different for different people. Correct. So like if my wife looks at that, it's going to be different than when I look at it because it's saying other people similar to you demographically bought this, not other people just bought this. Absolutely. And then, I mean, also in that same vein, you know, if you're doing research for your own products and you're looking up competitors or similar type products, dive into the reviews, see what the, the good, the bad, the ugly is. I mean, especially if you're working on a product and you're starting to scale it up, you know, get ahead of it and see how can you make this better for the 2.0, um, especially if it's something you're just sourcing direct that you don't have a patent on. Maybe there's a way that you can come up with new ideas on how to prove something. Then you have something you can go with build a patent and have more defendable and scale up over time yeah there's a there's a there's a gold mine of product research on sites like amazon and and other large sellers also where even like shopify stores you know if, as long as they have a reasonably good volume you could go look at those stores and look at the comments and the comment will be something like well this would be great but it didn't have xyz and then you know, if you see that comment five or six times, you're like, okay, well, there's obviously a demand for a product like this that also had this thing that they mentioned in the comments. And then you could build or or if you have a product that already addresses those problems, you can put that in your product marketing and your product descriptions to help resell. So let's talk a little bit more about the direct-to-consumer or as in the marketing world, everybody calls it D2C and the direct to consumer kind of D2C marketplace. Now, since COVID happened, people are ordering stuff from home, right? Because they couldn't go shop. I mean, a lot of places like local businesses and stuff were closed and, and are just, you know, finally reopening now in many, many places. Where do you think e-commerce is going and 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 where do you see kind of the direct-to-consumer market headed in the next year or two? You know, it, it's a great question. I think we, we've definitely, you know, internally and from speaking with our partners, I think we've seen the e-com landscape, you know, fast forward by five years, thanks to COVID. So, you know, a terrible thing, but a positive outcome for the e-com industry as folks, you know, who would never wanted to go online or use a laptop or, you know, a phone to purchase anything. I have my, you know, my 75 year old father now is using Instacart and uh, buying things off of Amazon. And so I think the, the interesting thing is it's, it's kind of pulled in a newer audience on all extremes. Some who thought they were too old to engage and now realizing, well, no, maybe it's actually something that is much more simpler and I can do this. But I think as far as growth, uh, I think, you know, in a lot of the direct to consumer marketing, you've seen a lot more product focused over the last years. And now I think you're seeing bigger brands start to hop into this now and see how they can help take this scalability and 
bring it to mass for them. Before it was all about brand measurability with these bigger brands, where now it's with the D2C, it's very, it's very focused on attribution. You can see by putting X number of dollars what you're getting out fairly quickly and if it's working or not, and then how to scale up from there. So I think we'll see a lot more of the bigger brands rolling out individual campaigns, maybe focusing on new specific products, new hero campaigns or categories that you haven't always seen in the past. So you mentioned hero campaigns a couple of times. Do you want to enlighten everybody on what you mean when you say hero campaign? Sure. So let's say I, I own a sleep brand, a sleep product brand. I sell everything from mattresses to pillows to, to sheets and comforters. A hero product would be that core product you want to focus on. It's kind of a gateway product. It's something that it's, it's super, super usable in the sense that people may want more than one. It's affordable. So the cost to consumer falls typically somewhere between a $35 to a $99 price point. So people will buy that without thinking twice. It's an everyday use item and it's something where you know, the user may be looking for something bigger. So for example, maybe I want to buy a bed in the box, but I'm not willing to commit to that thousand dollar or plus price tag. But if I see the same brands rolling out a pillow or a pillowcase, maybe let me try that first. And it's great as the the merchant and advertiser, because it's a great way to build up your, your business and get someone in at a lower cost and a lower acquisition price. And then you can go back to them with a bigger product later. So the hero product is essentially the core product that gets people in the door, gets them into your, your CRM so you can remarket them later. And I always say, you know, the, the analogy I always use is somebody who sells a wine fridge, you know, selling wine fridge is not for everyone. Not everyone drinks that much wine, but most people need a corkscrew, whether they're hosting or whether they, you know, they like to have a nice glass with dinner and they'll usually have more than one. So maybe that's the right lead product to get somebody in the flow. And then you could upsell them on the, the wine of the month club or the, the wine fridge down the road. Right. It's the corkscrew first and then it's the wine aerator and, the, you know, all, all the things that go along with it. And then the, and then the wine fridge down the road to keep your wine at the right temperature and the the education along the way of what makes a good wine versus not and vintage and all these things, right? There's a, an amazing opportunity for customer education and building relationships once you have that customer in the door. You know, a lot of people are familiar with the term like lost leader. That's, you know, when you open the magazine and it's going to be, you know, Black Friday or something and they have some, you know, the TV that's giant that usually costs a thousand dollars for 99 bucks or something. Right. Because the company's going to lose money on it, but it's a lead product. Right. So it's a lost leader. And hero product is, is kind of the new version of the lead product. Right. It doesn't have to make a take a loss. Right. Right. It's not necessarily a loss leader, but you can take a loss on some types of lead products I've seen. I know one that was interesting that I saw. They found that it was costing them about 20 to 25 dollars for a cost of acquisition to get into this this makeup brand funnel for them to then sell people makeup uh, later. Right. Makeup kits and stuff like that. But they were able to give away these these makeup brushes. Right. And. With the shipping and everything, it came out to about four bucks. And in, when you included that four bucks plus the advertising, it actually dropped their cost per lead from 25 bucks down to about 15 by giving away something for free that cost them money. And then they were able to then, you know, sell them more stuff later. So there's more than one way to uh, skin a cat there. I don't know. That's probably a super old saying, by the way. <laughs> I'm like, I sound like I'm like 100. That's a good way to skin a cat, Sonny. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but that's that's a, that's a great example. I mean, you know, even when building out these these direct response funnel flows and focusing on a core hero product, you know, giving incentivizations like that, you know, I've seen it. Some of our clients have a variety of different things, but one of our clients does a, a ceramic coat car ceiling similar to like a turtle wax, right? And you can buy one bottle, but if you buy two, you get it at a better price, and they're going to include the, the free microfiber towel to help you know apply it to the car. So it's like, oh well, I want that towel plus. I'll get the extra for all these over time and it's a better price. Now they took something that might have been a slight loss or break even and turned it into a profitable sale. And that's just on that initial acquisition. Now they're going to be in that same upsell flow. Maybe we serve them up an anti-scratch product or an, a window defogging thing. And now you've got a very, very profitable customer at a very nice acquisition point. Right. And there's also, once you get into kind of looking at the entire life of a customer versus just the immediate cost of acquisition. And I mean, these are numbers that a lot of companies don't know how to calculate. They're not sure what those numbers that they should be looking at are. So it might even be a good idea for us to define some of these things. And so cost of acquisition very basically is how much does it cost to get someone on your list or into your CRM or physically into your store, right? That's to acquire that customer. And while technically that's cost per lead, when they buy something, it's cost of acquisition. But there's also lifetime value, right? And customer lifetime value is not just the first purchase. It's the average of if you take all of your customers and how much they all spend over the lifetime of being a customer and you average that out, that's your average lifetime customer value, right? And if you can look at that, then you can easily justify spending more on acquiring a customer if you look at the whole lifespan of the customer versus just the initial purchase. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And agreed wholeheartedly. I mean, I think the big thing is, you know, people will look at that initial acquisition cost and then how they can maximize that that cart value or average order value with the relevant sister product upsells. But I, I think, yeah, where a lot of e-tailers and e-commerce folks who are new to the game miss out is focusing, yes, we need to get that customer acquired, but think about the LTV, that lifetime value and having the proper, you know, remarketing efforts, whether it's through email journeys or SMS or push notifications and just re-engaging them and cross-selling them on other products. I mean, just because someone didn't take that relevant sister product today doesn't mean if you send them an email two days from now with a better discount, they won't take it then or two weeks from now or even two months from now. So it's keeping engaged and building in that audience and also sprinkling evergreen educational content that's going to help build it over time as well. There's also kind of some baby steps you can get into to doing this if you're kind of just starting out. One of those things that that's super easy to do is retargeting ads like you talked about. So if somebody has been to your store, the weather, I mean, there's more than one kind that you could do. I like if somebody's been to your store and they've viewed a product or they've added it to their cart, but they have not made a purchase, having another ad for them and potentially having more than one ad. Like you can have an ad that shows for a couple of weeks and then maybe a couple of weeks after those first couple of weeks, you give them a discount to go back and purchase, right? So there's a couple of ways to do that. But the other thing is the uh, abandoned cart emails are fantastic. You know, even just like a simple, if you have nothing, one abandoned cart email will probably increase your sales four or 5%. If you have an abandoned cart series where 
you ask them if they forgot something in their cart and then maybe you have a little more information and then ask them again. And, and then you have that final, Hey, we're going to, we're going to delete your card. If you know, if you still wanted these things, it's your last chance to get it kind of thing. Here's a discount or whatever it is. Right. I mean, those series can, can up that 4% to 5%, even 6%. And that's a lot of money, right? If you look at it over a year, you know, if you take a company with million dollars in sales or something, right? Absolutely. I mean, we, and it's funny you mentioned that. We've, we've, we've typically found in our, our journey about 40 mils will do it and you, you stagger them appropriately. But that last one, you know, noting that it's like, you know, we're going to delete, you know, no one wants to know that you're removing or you're taking away an opportunity from them. So that'll get the, the stragglers to come through. And like you said, it, it adds up. Right. Like It's your last chance. And people are like, oh, no. Uh, you know, what's funny is a lot of stores kind of jump the gun. So they go, okay, well, someone's left something in their cart. They didn't buy it. So 24 hours later, I'm going to send them an email with like a 15% discount or something. And what ends up happening is every one of their customers who didn't buy something right away has been trained to wait 24 hours before they buy it because they know it's going to be 15% cheaper. Agreed. So usually the series is... Yeah. A little more extended. Yeah. No, it, I, <laughs> it's funny because I'm doing some home renovation products and there's a specific site that does exactly that. And I've, and like you said, I'm trained to do that because I know I can get that discount. Because the one time you forget to finish, you know, checking out or you've got busy or whatever, you don't know if it's the right thing you need yet. And then the next day you get the email with the discount. You're like, oh, I'm always going to get this discount if I just wait. You know, it's another interesting one. And maybe you have the same as me. If you've looked at, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of e-commerce stores, everybody has this idea of like, they all want to name their coupon codes, something they're going to remember, like not necessarily what the customer will remember, but what they're going to remember. So you can go to almost any website and you like right now and you could type in like spring 10 <laughs> and it'll like, oh, you get 10% off or spring 20 or spring has sprung or a good one to try is CS10, CS15, CS20, or customer service 10, customer service 15, customer service 20, because what they'll do is they'll use that code to give to their customer service staff so that if they have a customer who's upset, they can say, oh, well, here, we'll put it through with a 20% discount. And they type in customer service 20 or CS20. And so those coupons are used constantly uh, by e-tailers. Yeah, that's a good tip. Yeah, well, here's a good tip if you are an e-tailer, don't name your coupon codes that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and also, <laughs> make sure if you have it in your SaaS system, when you are setting up a holiday or seasonal type campaigns, to set a time clock for them to expire. Because I've seen that before, too, where certain e-com stores, I, I could type in a coupon from 2018 and it'll still work. So... You know, it's interesting. There's a uh, kind of a marketing tactic that we use for stores with products that have a pretty high margin is we'll set up permanent coupon codes. So it might be something like 8% off or 12%. Usually I use a weird number just because it, it's easier for us to track it. So I'll set up a code like, you know, say it's like a t-shirt store or something and they got like 80% margin, right? We'll set up a 10% off coupon code and we'll just call it like, Super 10 or something like that. And then we go to all the coupon, like, have you found a coupon code sites, which there's hundreds of, and you just add that coupon to all of those sites. And then when somebody comes to your store and gets like, looks for like coupon code for, you know, David's store, and then it'll come up with all, of all those coupon sites. And then they see the coupon and they immediately purchase because they got the deal. 
even though they could have signed up for your, you know, your newsletter got 15% off or, <laughs> you know, whatever. But yeah, so coupon, adding your own coupon code to add to coupon code sites is a good way to kind of, you know, close a few extra deals. It's also good for search optimization. It's good SEO strategy. You should get backlinks. Absolutely. Also another, if for people who, and this is when it could go double-edged, is the exit pop, right? For exit intent. If someone comes to the page, you know, having that, that exit pop where you can offer them 10%, but they have to add their email address. So even if they're not purchasing today, you at least get them in your, in your CRM and then you have them for the journey. Right. There's also, I mean, there's some software and stuff out now, like get emails, where if somebody comes to your website, they will try to determine what their email address is and they can just add it into their list. It's not against the law in the United States. I don't know if you'd want to do that, but if you're a larger retailer, I'm sure they're doing it. But like another thing, upsells, right? So somebody goes to buy, you know, the hero product or the lead product, and then, you know, you can have maybe multiple quantities, plus you get an extra free thing. If you buy two, get this also kind of thing. And then usually you have an upsell. What's your thought on downsells? Like if somebody were to buy two insoles for shoes and your upsell is maybe like a, a foot care package for $300 and they don't want that, do you usually do a downsell also where you have like, oh, well, did you know you can get a shoehorn for five bucks kind of thing? So the, the downsells are an interesting thing. We've we've done it where we've done downsells and we've also had partners who do downsells and then some who will just have, okay, if they say no to the first upsell, they'll have a different upsell at a different price point. But yeah, typically there'll be a buyer's atrophy, right? Like there's a willingness. So there's a strategy when you're pricing your different products in that flow of upsells to see, you want to make sure that, you know, the overall hero bundles are are most likely the most expensive thing that the person's going to be acquiring. You want to make it easy for them to add on those, those niceties. You don't want to say, okay, you can get the wine cork, uh, an electronic aerator for 35 bucks, but then the fridge is next and it's a thousand bucks. So you're, you'll probably have a, you know, less than 1% take rate on that. But if they get to a point where it's other things that are a relevant sister product at a slightly lower cost and it pairs on well, it works. I think one other really good strategy that's worked for us, especially if it's something that sells well in multiple quantities, if people are buying, you know, maybe two or one on the on the front end in that upsell flow, offer them one more of the hero product, but at its best discounted rate at the very end. At that, we'll see at least a, a consistent 20% take rate or even on the confirmation page, once they've finished their order saying, hey, by the way, we're doing a, a warehouse closeout sale or a fire sale, get one more of these at this rate and you'll see a, a nice consistent and take there and it just helps boost that average order value nice yeah that's that's one thing that we haven't tried actually that's a really good suggestion you know you, you mentioned something there about not having something more expensive than the hero product and i've been reading robert caldini's book influence and i actually just got past one of the chapters where we're talking about that very thing where there is a psychological trigger that once you've bought the expensive thing, things that cost less seem more valuable and less costly. And uh, the example they had used was buying suits. If you're going to buy like a suit and a shirt and a tie and everything, the most people's idea is to lead with the tie because it's the cheapest, right? Or the shirt, whatever happens to be the cheapest item and then upsell your way up. But the opposite is actually true. What you want to do is sell them the thousand dollar suit first and then the shirt and the tie don't seem like any amount of money because they spend a thousand dollars on a suit, so they don't give a shit about eighty bucks on a shirt, right? 
and another 50 for a tie. You're selling somebody an expensive TV and you're going to sell them the wall mount and then the coax cable or the HDMI. And, it's a, you know, you're boosting that cart value, but they, they made the money on the big ticket. Also, your upsells can be the items that have the most profit in them. And this is if you're if you ever like at a car dealership, right, they sell you the car and then they sell you the warranty and then it's the, do you want the leather seats? Do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want the shiny rims? Do you want this, you know, this thing, the, the mat that goes in, in the back in the trunk is only 50 bucks. You're like, I just spent 40 grand. I might as well get 50 bucks for a rug. You know, the same thing happened, you know, in like electronic stores and things like that. It's, you know, you buy the TV or the computer, which basically has almost no margin in it. You know, maybe 10% or something of margin left in it because there's so much competition. But then they'll sell you a $30 HDMI cable that costs them two bucks, right? Because it has, you know, 90% profit in it. So, yeah, that was super interesting. And another thing I was going to mention, and it's actually from that book, Influence, is that kind of the general idea of, of selling is to say, look, you, you could get, you know, people spend thousands and thousands of dollars on custom made suits. But, you know, you can come in and get a suit at our store and it's only like 1200 bucks even though the person was probably thinking they wanted to spend $500 to begin with, when you've told them people spend tens of thousands, but yours is only 1200 comparatively, the number is so small, they're more likely to purchase it. And then once they've purchased it, they're even more likely to purchase smaller items after the fact. So there's a, there's a, a way like a, a mental trigger that happens when you hear a big number and then there's a small number and there was this really interesting psychological study done. And what they did is they were selling bottles of water in an airport store. And what they did is they put a sign out in front and the sign had nothing to do with water whatsoever. And I can't remember the, the both signs. One of them was something about how like the moon is like 200,000 miles away. And then they had, you know, the bottles of water for $3 each. And then they had another one where it was like something to the effect of, oh, there's only one moon. And then they sold the bottles of water for $2. And the people who saw the sign about the moon being 200,000 miles away would buy more water at a higher price than people who saw the sign that said there was only one of something because they saw a smaller number first, even though it had nothing to do with their purchase whatsoever. So there's a psychological trigger when it comes to numbers. And I thought that was really interesting in that book. But hey, you guys have already figured that out. <laughs> no, it's, you know, it, you know, it, it's all about testing, right? There's, that's the one thing I'd also say with direct to consumer and especially when you're focusing on different types of products and upsells. I mean, test, test, test everything because you may think something's a good idea or you may think something's a bad idea, but until you actually put some data behind it, you don't know if it's a good or bad idea. And so there's been times where our team has said, let's try this as an upsell. It's the perfect fit and it has, you know, five, 10% take rate. And then there's something else that we put up there and like, oh, that's not going to work. And it has a 60% take rate. And you're like, really? It's like, yeah, I guess that's, that's really what the people want. So, you know, always know, know who your user is and know that you are not your user <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And also, you know, when it comes to testing, you never know what's going to be that trigger for people. But another thing, kind of a, a cautionary tale on testing is I see a lot of people do a lot of testing with not a large enough sample size. Right. So, they're like split testing a landing page that has a hundred 
views on it or something. And that's not a large enough sample size, right? Right. Um, you, you, know, you should be testing with, yeah, like at least a thousand people to do a test, right? You're like if you're going to split test a hundred bucks on ads in Facebook, don't bother, right? If you're going to split test a hundred bucks a day on Facebook, now you got a test that's going to have a statistically relevant sample, right? Right. And it's, you're not, you know, it's funny because people are like, well, you're losing money when you're doing this and you're, you're burning media dollars. It's like, no, you're, you're buying an education. I mean, we've, some of our internal offers, we've, you know, spent five, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. And before we've kind of cracked, what is that nice harmony of, okay, this is what's going to get us as our, our proper acquisition point. Here's where we can get the right cost to consumer. Cause you can test everything, right? You can test the colors and the, the fonts on the pages, but you can test price points to consumers. You can test angles, even the, the, bundling of how you're selling the product, right? Are you doing a one, two, three, four, five pack or are you doing BOGO deals? And so the more data you have, the better educated and the better offer you can put together. Right. And another thing with testing is you may find out that both of the offers that you've crafted sell well, but they maybe they sell to different demographics. So there's a way to find more than one way to sell, you know, the product that you have and maybe find some demographics or people who are interested in your product that you didn't even know about, which is great because you have access to literally the most advanced advertising platforms ever imagined in mankind history, you know, as long as you have a credit card in your pocket, right? So David, it was fantastic talking today. Growth officer for DFO Global. If somebody wants to talk to you more about maybe selling a product or just, you know, have a chat, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Sure. They can uh, reach me directly at my email address, david.stellato at dfo.global. Perfect. All right, David. Have a great day and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Matt. Have a great day. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.